The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the rest. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, the trades are done and the teams are set for the rest of the 2015 Major League Baseball regular season as far as the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds are concerned. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our Monday night get-together to talk about the Reds and the Indians. And in order to do that, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm fine, Dave. And I I hate to do this. I really do. But to take exception in the first five seconds of the show with what you just said, I I, I feel bad, but I, I feel I have a responsibility to uh, to straighten me out on something. Okay, go ahead. The the the, the wa- don't forget the waiver uh, deadline is all the way to August 30th, and teams can still make deals and some very substantial deals, I might add, uh, between now and the end of August. Now they have to do it before September 1st deadline. Of that player they acquire can't appear in the in the playoffs. But if you look back over the uh, last 10 years, there've been some pretty significant deals made after the so-called trade deadline, but the difference is a player, let's say the Reds wanted to uh, trade Joey Votto. Uh, he'd have to go through waivers. Every team would have to pass on him, and with his contract, it's highly likely they would, uh, and the Reds could still end up making a deal with, say, a team that needed offensive help going into the playoffs. So um, the deals, I'll, I'll bet you another steak dinner uh, that the <laughs> <laughs> that there'll be some trades made between now and the end of the year, or the end of well, August. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The trade waiver deadline is the end of August, August 31st. But, Mark, the Indians made three deals, one of which I like, the other two which were absolutely atrocious. But the Mike Leake deal. You know, we talked about Mike Leake possibly being traded by the Reds, and he went to San Francisco on Friday in exchange for the Giants' number one prospect, 22-year-old righty, Kerry Mella, which went to Cincinnati, and then a 26-year-old minor league slugger, Adam Duvall, which really was nothing. Did that trade surprise you? I'm surprised they got uh, Mella. Uh, he, from all indications, he has got a great arm. And uh, for the Giants to give up on him um, uh, for Mike Leak, um, I mean, if you take away the last four starts that Mike Leak has made, uh, 2015 has been a, a spotty year for him. Uh, he's pitched well. He's durable. He's an innings eater. But he's not a number one, number two guy. He's probably not a number three guy on a winning team. But he, he's very valuable to a team like the Giants, who who don't need a lot of pieces to fill out uh, a 25-man roster. But the Reds, I think, did very well on that trade. And, uh, you know, they, they are really loading up on good young, young pitching talent, which if they can't use all of it, they can use to go out and get a hitter. So that's – uh, I'm sure that's the strategy. Mark, I was really surprised by a comment that Walt Jockety made. He said after this trade was made, along with the Cueto deal, that for the first time with the Reds, he was a seller instead of a buyer. Actually, it was probably the first time in his career – He's worked as a seller instead of a buyer. And you're going to love this quote, and I'm going to play it right now after what he said after the leak deal was made. He said he actually enjoyed dealing as a seller instead of a buyer. Probably the first time in my career. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it was different, but you know, it was a different challenge. It was actually uh, uh, fun to do because we, we uh, got a chance to really look at some organizations, uh, players from other organizations that, that – Talent, uh, depth of talent from different organizations, and uh, look at some quality young players. So that was that was a fun challenge. 
he almost seemed giddy about the whole thing, Mark, that he was actually dealing as a seller instead of a buyer. Well, I don't think he meant that he, he enjoyed being in that position, but it, it does give you an opportunity for people to evaluate your talent, but more importantly, to look behind the screen at, uh, say, the Giants roster. If, they, if the Giants wanted to leak, they had to open up the, the kimono and show them you know, what they got. And uh, certainly the Reds have scouts, but uh, you know if they wanted Mike Leak, I'm sure they did research on you know 20 different players that the Reds may have you know asked for. But to get the Giants' number one uh, rated player, I think was a real coup for that deal. You know what was surprising was I didn't know Mike Leak is from San Francisco. Yeah, I, I did know that. Uh, I think he went to Southern Cal or no Arizona. He went to Arizona. But I heard he was from the Bay Area. <clears throat> I'm not sure how long he lived there as a child. But, uh, you know, Mike Leake, I remember the day the Reds signed him. And uh, he, he certainly was a good draft pick. He made the, he only spent, what, one day or two days in the minor leagues and went directly to the major leagues from college and lived up to expectations. He was never expected to be a number one. One guy, and he wasn't, but he was a very effective 3-4 guy. Uh, he was above 500 and had an ERA 3.6 lifetime. Uh, that's not bad. That's, that, that's, that's good value. But I think the Reds got greater potential value coming back from the Giants. I don't think Leak ever would have had the, uh, the, the rating that the, the, the Giants player, the Reds gave, got. Um, he, he never had that high rating. So in, in a bad situation, you try and make the best of it, and I think that's what Jockety did. Well, Mark, we're going to get into what the Reds pitching staff is right now in just a few moments, but the other thing that we need to talk about are, are the Indians' trades, which they made three of them. Right off the bat, they did trade David Murphy a week ago Tuesday to the Angels for a shortstop prospect, 24-year-old Eric Stamets. Now, Indians GM Chris Antonate. Mark, have you ever seen the, the show Big Bang Theory? I've seen it. I, I'm not a fan. Okay, well, the guy who plays Sheldon. Oh, you okay. know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I've suddenly come to the conclusion that Chris Antonetti is a spitting image of Sheldon. I, <laughs> just the way he talks, the way he looks, everything. Chris Antonetti talks about the motivation behind the David Murphy deal. I don't think we anticipated being in this spot where we would be you know, trading a veteran like Murph, who's you know, not only a contributing player on the field, but a, a great guy in the clubhouse and has been, been a big part of our team for the last two years. But this is a situation we're in now, and you know, it was an opportunity for us to get back a player we like and also, as importantly, to provide an opportunity for uh, maybe a younger player to come up and get some at-bats in, in August and September. Mark, let's, let's be real honest about this trade. This was a salary dump. They wanted to get rid of David Murphy and his seven, the rest of his $7 million salary and the possibility of buying him out at the end of the year for 500000 or keeping him on the team at $7 million. And to be honest, they would have had a tough time selling the Indian fans after the year David Murphy was having that they would buy him out for 500000 when they could have kept him for $7 million. Mark, how many $7 million a year players do you know that are batting close to 300 in the major leagues today? Not, Not many. many. Yeah. On the other hand, well, on the other hand, uh, what do you think they could have – what better deal could they have cut for him given their situation? The Indians are out I of have, it. I uh, have no idea, but this damage kid – you're right, the Stamets kid. Here's what the scouts say about him. He, first of all, he's 25 years old. He's in double-A ball. He's got sure hands, good range, and accurate to average arm. But his swing is not conducive to doing more than just putting the ball in play. He was ranked 23rd among the Angels' top 30 prospects in the minor leagues. And on top of that, the Indians' number one prospect in the minor leagues, who's on the major league team right now, Francisco Lindor, is a shortstop who's 21 years old. Stamets has got two chances to be on the Indians' roster in the next year or two or three. Slim and none, and to be honest, Slim left town two weeks ago. <laughs> so he, he's not going to be. The other trade that they made that I don't like is left-handed relief 
pitcher Mark Zepchinski going to San Diego. They did that on Friday, just before the deadline, for outfielder Abraham Almonte. Almonte, another 26-year-old outfielder that is playing in AAA El Paso right now, batting 275 with four homers, 35 RBIs, 11 steals, and he's got 61 games in the minors. He spent two stints in the majors, Mark, batting 204 in 31 games. And this is the thing that really gets me, Mark. He's a switch-hitting center fielder that stands all of 5 feet 9 inches tall. When was the last 5'9 outfielder you've seen in Major League Baseball? Well, you know, I, I get all that, but you haven't given an alternative. What do you, what do, you do if you're the Cleveland Indians at this time of year? And let's, let's make the stipulation that you're accurate in the talent the Indians got back. What, what else would you have done? Well, not knowing what they had offered or what they tried to do, I can't answer that question. I do know that Zipchinski, being a successful left-handed reliever, i got to believe you can get more for Zipchinski, especially who's playing out his option at the end of the year. Okay, you can get more for him than just a 26-year-old double-A ball player. Well, why didn't they then? If they, if you think they should have and could have, why didn't they? Because they could have gotten a, a some kind of draft pick if he walked and somebody uh, signed him. If he was going to be a free agent, they could have got a draft pick. They must have thought that the players they received for him, or the player they received, was better than a, a draft pick. Well, I can tell you right now, I would I would swear that Pittsburgh would love to have a left-handed reliever coming out of the bullpen. The Cardinals, they already made the deal with the Cardinals, which I thought was a very good deal. But let, let's hear what Chris Antonetti is saying. Again, based upon what he says on his deals, he's trying to make a good situation out of a bad one right now that the Indians are in. Yeah, it's really disappointing. I don't think any of us expected us to you know, be in this spot. And but now you know we are where we are. So the the most important thing is that we make something of it and 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 play as well as we can for the balance of the season and make sure that we enter 2016 in a better spot than we are right now. Well, it's going to be very easy to enter 2016 in a better spot than what the Indians are in right now. They've got the third worst record in the American League. They're 48 and 56. They're in last place in the Central Division. They're 14 games behind Kansas City. They're two and a half games behind the number four team in the division, the Chicago White Sox. They were three and seven out of their last ten games. But like I said, Mark, I think they made a great deal with the Cardinals when they traded outfielder Brandon Moss to St. Louis for a pitching prospect by the name of Rob Kaminsky. Now, MajorLeagueBaseball.com has Kaminsky as the 88th best prospect in the major leagues at the 2015 midseason point. He was promoted this year to the Cardinals' high A team, where he's 6-5 and five with a 2.09 ERA, and he is a left-hander. The scouts say about him, Mark, that he falls in love with his curveball too much at times because it's a sharp downer that arrives in the upper 70s. Now, his fastball tops out at about 95 miles an hour, and they say his change is a fader. And like I said, he's a left-handed pitcher. I like this deal. This one I really like. The other two deals I w- was not enamored with. Well, you know, when you analyze deals one year to the next, uh, it's hard to sit here today on August 3rd and evaluate the success of any deal. I mean, there are some deals where you think, oh, man, we get the, we get the best of that deal. And then two years go by and you realize you did not. Uh, so I'm never too much to over evaluate a deal until you have time to let the player show the value of that deal. And in some cases, both teams win. They get what they need, and both teams are better for the trade. Uh, more often than not, one team gets the better of the deal. But it, that can vary from year to year and transaction to transaction. Uh, in, in the terms of the, the Indians, I, I don't think they had – they didn't have the – the talent pool on their roster to, to be traded that the Reds did. The Reds had some, I mean, they had Johnny Cueto and uh, Mike Leake. Uh, they had some guys that were going to get some great attention, and I think that's why they, they made some tremendous deals. 
they picked up four pitchers that honestly they could all be in the Reds rotation or at least in the bullpen in 2016. Those are good deals, at least on paper. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. They got kids, Mark. They got kids. What the Indians got were 25- and 26-year-old players that are career minor leaguers, with the exception of uh, the kid that they got from the Cardinals in Kaminsky. Mark, the trade with Arizona for Araldus Chapman, that was rumored to be going down for about three hours on Friday afternoon before the trade deadline. What happened? to that deal? Why wasn't it made? Well, the way I understood it, and this is, I have no way of knowing it's true, that Tony La Russa, who, who's a friend of Walt Jockety, he called up and said, hey, Walt, what do you want for the for Chappie? And uh, he said, in, in return, more than you can give me. And <laughs> uh, so I guess they put together some, you know, some package, and apparently uh, he was right. They couldn't give him enough. So I think Arizona, obviously looking toward next year, uh, could pick up a Chapman, and maybe he thought, given the situation, that the Reds would, uh, you know, give give away the, the most exciting ninth inning performer in baseball. And from the Reds' perspective, I think it would have been a PR disaster uh, to trade Chapman now when they have him under control for next year. So uh, he has an option left. Um, arbitration year left. <clears throat> so the, the Reds, are, they didn't have to trade Chapman. And maybe next year at this time, the same goes with Jay Bruce. I think they had offers on Jay Bruce, and they decided, why? If we're not going to get a great deal, if we wait till after the season is over, rather than dealing with three or four teams that might have interest in Bruce and Chapman, we can deal with 29 teams. You know, we're going to get more. So I think that's the um, the logic behind it, and I agree with that. Oh, I, I definitely agree with it also. But where does that – what does that do? Gee, are you still in the chair, Mark? Yeah, I'm sorry. I spilled some. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, when you look at what the Reds are going to do in the future, are they going to keep Chapman in the bullpen? Are they going to move him to the rotation? Like you said, they got – a plethora of players back in these deals that they got. Plus, look at their rotation right now. You've got Lorenzen. You've got Di Scalfani. You've got this kid that they brought up on Saturday to pitch by the name of Kevius Sampson, who made his Major League debut on Sunday against the Pirates. The Reds' strength two years ago was their starting rotation. The Reds' strength two years from now Maybe their starting rotation, but right now, what does their rotation look like? Well, you left out uh, three interesting players, not including the, the guys that got in trades. Uh, you have Rasiel Iglesias, who pitched very well the other day. Uh, you have Homer Bailey coming back from the DL, and you got Robert Stevenson, who we, we haven't seen yet this year. So, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The Reds have, uh, you know, beefed up their pitching staff, and you add those four players that got in those two trades. And you look, wow, they've got some, they've got some pitching depth uh, in, the, in the bullpen and in the starting rotation. It gives them a, an ability to trade. And now they can go on the hunt for offensive players. But I think a lot of the offense they, they have, they need, maybe on the, on the roster right now. Um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the, the Billy Hamilton experiment has not worked. He, he is a phenomenal base dealer when he gets on base, but he doesn't get on base. And his his on base percentage is going to be what two seventy this year, two eighty. That, that's that's absurd. That's not a major league offensive player. Now I have an idea. Why not go out and get a real center fielder who can hit forty home runs, uh, or, or thirty home runs, and put Hamilton on the bench. Bring him in as a defensive replacement in the outfield. Let him pinch run a hundred times a year, and of course he'll be able to hit some. Uh, he'll, he'll start some games, but he could be such a weapon—a ninth inning or eighth inning or seventh inning weapon—to come in and pinch hit for somebody, and you know steal two bases and score the winning run. That's uh, to me that's that's the best way to use him until or unless his bat comes around. 
Well, do you think they'll do something like that? And when you mention somebody to come in and play maybe center field or, or a guy that can hit the ball out of the ballpark, especially from the right-hand side, the first person that popped into my head was Justin Upton. Yeah, but Justin Upton is, is getting older. Um, he's very expensive. <clears throat> All you need in, in the situation to replace Billy Hamilton is a guy to hit 280. A solid defensive player, not great, but solid, major league quality, uh, hits you 20, 25 home runs, and all of a sudden you add that to that lineup. And even keeping Marlon Bird. Marlon Bird's having his pretty decent year, as it turns out. And, you know, one addition and a little creativity on how to use Hamilton more effectively. He's a great defensive player. You can bring him in into the seventh, eighth, ninth inning in, in any one of three positions in the outfield. Let him pinch hit, let him pinch run, and he he could Dave. If he came in, let's say into a pinch run situation in a hundred and twenty games, he would steal a hundred bases. Because in many cases he'll steal second and third. What a weapon to have, and plus he can play defense great. He just can't hit. But he'll get more on-base attempts by being a pinch runner than he will being a hitter. Because he'll go 0 for 4, he never gets on base. At least if he gets on base one time a game being a pinch runner, my God, he could could be on base 125, 130 times just as a pinch runner. Not including the times he would pinch hit or an occasional start, whatever. The other thing you could do with him is reconsider the infield for him because you can accept an infielder hitting 220, 230. You can't, an outfielder. You need that power bat out there. But if if they just be a little more creative on how to use that talent, uh, it would be better for Billy and be better for the team. Can he play third? I, I think he can play third. He played shortstop, and he was a very good shortstop. He wasn't great, but he was good. So that's the litmus test for me. If you can play shortstop, you can play anywhere in the field. Right. He's a great athlete, and he he's played center field very, very well. But I'd be very comfortable having him as the 24th, 23rd guy on, on the roster and use him with some, some brain power, for God's sake. He, he, what, about, what about the Reds using him like the Indians use Micah Villies? They just play him all over the place. He's basically an everyday player. He's just... He'll play left field one day. He'll play center field another day, second base, shortstop, third base another day. He's always in the lineup, but he always just spots people, and he plays different positions. Can a Hamilton do something like that? Of course he could, but he also presents a problem for the for the other team, just like a power hitter does sitting on the bench. You have a power hitting pinch hitter on the bench. Well, you have to work around that. You, you, you say, oh, gosh, I don't want that guy coming up. Uh, or we have to anticipate him coming up. The same with Billy Hamilton. He's a switch hitter. You could double switch him a lot and bring him into situations where there's a pinch hitter, Billy Hamilton comes in, uh, or, or you pinch run. Uh, he can steal you a base or two <laughs> every time he comes into the game. I mean, it, it's all about total bases. And he could, he could average one and a half total bases every game. And that's assuming he, he doesn't do any hitting. Of course, he would hit. Give him a you know 150 200 at bats as a pinch hitter or a fill in or a whatever. But right now, giving that guy 500 at bats is ridiculous. It's just it doesn't make any sense. I don't care how many bases he steals. Well, getting to what the teams are doing on the field right now and off the trade market, the Reds they are off tonight. They are 47 and 56 on the year. They're in fourth place also in the. National League Central. They're 19 games behind St. Louis, and they're nine and a half games behind in the wild card chase with four teams to vault. In comparison to the Indians, who are in six games behind in the wild card chase, but they've got seven teams to vault over in the wild card chase. The Reds were four and three last week. They've won five of their last ten, but yesterday, Mark, it was very entertaining because it seemed to be bench clearing brawl Sunday around Major League Baseball. The Reds and the Pirates do it again. 
They've managed to do this for about three years in a row, had a bench-clearing brawl sometime during the season between the Reds and the Pirates. And another team that did it yesterday was Kansas City and Toronto, which we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But Brian Price, well, let me ask you, Mark, why is it Brian Price has got his reasoning? Why do you think the Reds and the Pirates always seem every year to get into a fight? Well, his explanation, which I heard today, or one of them, is that both pitching staffs pitch inside. And they have hitters, like, you know, and it's true. McCutcheon, it's a wonder McCutcheon doesn't hit every game. I mean, he dives into every pitch. So the, the only way you take the outside corner away from a McCutcheon is you gotta, you got to come inside. And I have no problem with pitchers coming inside and, and, and hitting a player who is hanging over the plate. I mean, you, you have no choice. So if you just keep the, the ball in the outside corner, McCutcheon will he'll, he'll take you out to right center field every time. So uh, that is the explanation, and I don't think it's a bad one. But there's another thing. They just don't like each other. And there's a lot of bad blood that's built up over the, the last three or four years. And, uh, you know, I think that's one reason that Joey Votto was not in the lineup yesterday, that I think everybody knew this was a getaway day and somebody's going to get drilled. And, you know, it started with on Saturday night when Marlon Bird uh, got hit. That really started the whole thing. So in terms of what the Reds can and should do, uh, if I were the Pirates, I would hit just about anybody on that team except Marlon Bird. He's a black belt. And <laughs> honestly, there's a picture of him with his shirt off. That is a guy you do not want to mess with. And he, he is really put together. He, he's a professional boxer, and he's got a black belt on something. Whatever it is, you don't want to fool with it. And he looks like he could break a bat, you know, with his one hand, squeeze it to death. So um, I, I'm just kind of anxious to see what Marlon would do because he would have taken apart some pitcher out there. Well, you're absolutely right. That's what Brian Price said. Let's listen to what Brian says about why these two teams are constantly getting into bench-clearing brawls. It's just kind of been something in the air, I think, for a long time here. Uh, the one thing that's a constant with these two teams is we both pitch inside, and uh, we pitch inside a lot, and as do they. And, and, and probably over the last six years, the re one of the main reasons why there's a lot of success on the pitching staffs of these two organizations. Um, and what's going to happen when you pitch inside is guys are going to get hit, and I think the issue now is that every time somebody gets hit, that uh, you know it just it kind of opens up an old wound. So it's baseball. So a lot of testosterone out there running around, and uh, you know it's, it's just it really it really is just baseball. We play them a lot, and, and we have a long history with them of this back and forth stuff. Well, you mentioned Mark that Joey Votto was not in the lineup yesterday. Marlon Bird was hit the night before. And both of those players were tossed in yesterday's game as they came off the bench and tried to protect their players. And that was another thing that Brian Price was talking about, that those two players were both thrown out of the game yesterday in that brawl, but he had absolutely no problems with what they did. The guys came out to uh, make sure that they protected their teammates. Um, and so I got no problem with the fact that they went out there and, and they wanted to make sure that uh, that they were out there in support of what was happening and, you know, that's that's what you expect. You know, guys take the field, players take the field, the bullpen's clear, everybody's out on the field, and and those guys, I think, uh, you know, just felt like it was their responsibility to be up there standing up for their teammates. And uh, it's at, at some point that the umpire's got to take control and make decisions on if they feel people are instigating. We, you know, we kind of felt we we're just standing up for each other. Wow, what a novel idea! An umpire actually taking control of a baseball game and deciding whether or not. Who an instigator is, huh, Mark? <laughs> That's right. I mean, that what happened in Cincinnati, I think, was just kind of old-fashioned baseball. What happened was was it in Toronto? Yes. That was that was one of the most blatantly poorly umpired games I have ever seen, and that was that that lack of decision making by the umpiring crew is weird. Those guys should be fined or suspended. That there is no sense for what happened and. You might want to describe to the fans, oh. you know, what, what the background is, but I've never I, seen anything like it. I've got the package, the Major League Baseball package, okay? And in my mind, I wanted to watch this Kansas City-Toronto game because right now I think they're the two best teams in the American League by far. 
you know, I, I didn't get to ask you this question, Mark, but before I get into this, in my opinion, these two teams, Toronto and Kansas City, probably did the most to improve their own, their teams in the trade deadline. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think you're right. And when you look at what Kansas City gave up to the Reds in the Cueto deal, shows the depth of that of, the, of talent they have. But that's why you as, you you assimilate that talent because you can go out and get a Johnny Cueto even on a two month rental. And uh, so you know, I think that that organization is is it's remarkable what they've done in the last three or four years in Toronto. They've always had. I mean, that you look at that lineup. <laughs> they have. That may be one of the best offensive teams in baseball recent history. Uh, there, there, there is no weak link in that lineup. I don't, I, I don't know who's sitting ninth, but they probably hit number four for the Reds or number five. Uh, they just have a lot of studs that are going to score a whole bunch of runs. Well, I wanted to watch this game because, like I said, I thought both of these teams were the best teams in the American League. Well, here's what happened: they played a, they played a four-game set. And it was a playoff-like atmosphere up at Rogers Stadium. But Sunday was just amazing because right away in the first inning, Edison Volquez, who's got that headhunter mentality anyway, you know as well as I do, he does. Well, chin music was played, batters were hit, and the benches cleared, which led to three ejections. But here's what happened. Volquez, in the first inning, hit Josh Donaldson in the left shoulder. Then in the third inning, very next at bat by Donaldson, he nearly hit him again, and that was near his head. But Jim Wolf, the home plate umpire, he did he gave a warning in the first inning, and I heard Buck Martinez, the Toronto announcer, say that was the worst thing he could have done. Mark was give the warning that early in the game, and and I tend to agree with him because you you've got to give no matter what happens, Mark. You have got to give the other team a chance to retaliate. Whether you think Volquez threw at Donaldson or not, and Donaldson thought right away that he did, I really believe that you've got to give the other team a chance to retaliate. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a it's a jungle rule, but I think you're right. And the the players will legislate this. Now, I don't know what initiated the initial pitch by Volquez to hit Donaldson in the first place. I don't I don't know why he did. Was he just pitching him tight? I don't know. There, there was no indication that there was a carryover from a previous game. Maybe there was. But the, the players will work it out. But what got me is after they said, you gave him the warning, nobody got tossed until, what, five more guys got hit? You, you, well, you're close. You're close. Here's what happened. After he gave the warning in the first inning, then what happened was reliever Ryan Madsen came in. Well, first of all, Volquez threw again at Donaldson. Nothing happened. Madsen came in and hit Troy Tulowitzki in the arm. Nothing happened. Then Donaldson came up again, and Madsen threw at Donaldson, Donaldson's head. Nothing happened. And Donaldson, I swear, walked 20 feet away from home plate, Mark, and was constantly barking at the home plate umpire, Jim Wolf, saying, you warned him once. You warned these guys once. When are you going to throw somebody out? And Wolf let him have his say. Donaldson got back in the batter's box, and nothing happened. But Gibbs, Gibbons, Toronto's manager, got thrown out of the game because he came out trying to protect Donaldson. That was in the seventh inning. In the eighth inning, Blue Jays reliever Aaron Sanchez, on a 1-2 pitch, hit Alcides Escobar with two outs. He was the third batter in the frame. And immediately the home plate umpire, Jim Wolf comes out and throws, throws him out of the game, throws Sanchez out of the game. He let Kansas City do all of this up to the eighth inning, and the very first guy that Toronto hits, he throws him out of the game. Well, that just started the whole thing. Bench coach DeMar... DeMarlo Hale, who was the, the new manager since Gibbons was thrown out, he got ejected. Sanchez were, was tossed. Benches were cleared. Both clubs retired to the dugout, supposedly without further incident. But after the game, Gibbons talked about the dilemma and what the umpire created afterwards. Well, see, yeah, that's that's what I don't get. You know, I mean, you know, Sanchez, 
you know, the umpire's not a pitching coach, but I'm sure he's seen the guy. He knows what his ball does, and it, it, was, it was down low. I don't think it was a whole hell of a lot different than those other pitches other than that, you know, he hit the guy. Nicked him, I guess. But So, you know, I don't know. That's that, But that's a problem you get into sometimes, even when you issue warnings, because, you know, it, it leads to things like that, and then there's that gray area, well, was it or wasn't it? There was absolutely no doubt what Kansas City was doing. Mark, with Sanchez, he hit him around the kneecap and on the back leg. And there was some doubt as to whether Sanchez, on a 1-2 pitch, why would you throw at a guy? That's my question. Well, Dave, it's very, very easy to end this headhunting stuff. A change in a rule, it ends. First time... I know what you're going to say. <laughs> first time a guy gets hit, he gets base. Next time a guy gets hit, he gets two bases. Next time a guy gets hit, he gets three bases. Doesn't matter which which team, they just... Okay, you, I hit you, you get on, on, on base. You hit me, I, I get to second base. I hit you again, you get to third base. So that will end it strategically. They're not going to give up two bases just to, you know, retaliate against a player. They'll wait until he comes up with nobody on and two out. It might not be the same series. It may not be the same year, but that, that will end it. This nonsense of the subjective evaluation by the umpires of what is an inside pitch. After a while, when a guy's throwing 100 miles an hour with a with a, a ball that is like a bullet at your head, and it can kill you, you can't screw around with this stuff. Somebody is going to get killed, and that is some of these protected helmets are not going to stop that. I'm, I'm going to get into that in a few minutes about that young kid that was killed yes. in little league. But the, the the league office has got to grow up. You're talking with players like Joey Votto worth a quarter of a billion dollars, and you're letting him go out there and get hammered by some 20-year-old idiot who's, you know, his pitching coach says you got you got to drill him. Really? Mark, there's, there's more problems with these umpires giving warnings than there was when the players just handled it themselves. Yes, but, but even if the players are stupid enough to handle it themselves in a way that, you know, could still lead to injury – Making it a, a problem on the field for them will end it. They're not, Correct. They're not going to give up two bases. And if, if the Price's explanation is, well, we've got to pitch inside, well, you can. You can pitch inside, but you, you're allowed to hit one guy. The second guy you hit, it's, it's a double. The third guy you hit, it's a triple. Do the math. Pitch inside. You know, and, and during this whole thing that was going on in the seventh inning with Josh Donaldson, basically having a cow over why the home plate umpire wouldn't throw Ryan Madsen out of the game for coming high and tight on him. Edison Volquez was sitting in the Kansas City dugout and was making gestures towards Josh Donaldson, rubbing his eyes like, what are you crying for? You guys are up two to nothing. You know, he kept going, two zip, two zip, and then rubbing his eyes, quit crying, quit crying. Buck Martinez had the greatest saying of the entire day. Volquez wouldn't be doing that if he could come to bat. Exactly right. And that gets back to the issue of the American League designated hitter, and I think that is that is just a joke. Yeah, if Volquez had to come up and face a guy like Chapman, uh, he, he's not throwing oh. anybody. Uh, no. And, and that's one thing the Reds have going for them. Uh, and I remember um, who's the center fielder for the Pirates? Um, McCutcheon. McCutcheon. Uh, he got hit. By a hundred and three mile an hour fastball <laughs> in the back. <laughs> oh, I mean, ouch! That's that's the ultimate protection of your team is to have somebody come in there and drill you in the back. But even hitting him in the back is okay. It hurts. Uh, might be able to you know take out a rib, but it's not going to kill him. It's when these guys come up and up and in. And Marlon Bird, if he hadn't ducked his head behind his shoulder, he would have been hit by a ninety seven mile an hour fastball in the head. And um, it, it, it's so much danger in baseball, people don't understand and realize. And the fans are part of that danger. And I've said it for five years on the air here. Before we end our run on the show, unfortunately, a fan is going to be killed. It's going to, they're going to be killed by a flying bat, or they're going to be killed by a line drive, say, over the dugout behind uh, third base. 
and somebody is going to die. And uh, it, There's a lawsuit right now going on, I believe it's in Oakland, where a fan is suing Major League Baseball, not for money, but for Major League Baseball to actually run, a f- not a fence, but a net from behind home plate to the ends of the dugouts. Yeah, and, and that's the least they could do uh, to protect the fans. I mean, people say, well, it's going to obstruct their vision. The, the best seats in the house are, the most expensive seats in the house are behind home plate where you have a backstop. People don't complain about that. And it would be absurd not to have that because <laughs> you'd have a, you know, acceptable death rate every year in Major League Baseball because the ball's coming off the bat going behind home plate would kill, you know, a couple people a week. Uh, that's why they do it. So if, if that's the, your logic to protect the fans behind home plate, why wouldn't you just extend it down to the, you know, at least the end of the dugout and maybe even more? Mark, the last thing I've got to say about this situation with Kansas City and Toronto and any Major League Baseball fan that knows his stuff about umpiring will understand what I'm about ready to say. The umpiring crew included Angel Hernandez. That's all I've got to say. Enough said. Enough said. Right there. You know, I found it very interesting. I was listening to Tom Hamilton, the Indians announcer, do the Indians-Oakland game yesterday. The Indians spent four days in Oakland, Mark, and you could tell that they were getting punch drunk, especially Tom Hamilton. The Indians were, too. They scored seven runs in four games, Mark. The Indians scored seven runs in four games and went two and two. Now, that's quite a feat to score seven runs in four games and go two and two. But I thought some of the things that Tom Hamilton had to say about Oakland Alameda Coliseum and and some of the things around Oakland were funny. For example, he took a tour of Oakland Alameda Coliseum on Sunday morning, and he saw more rats than people. (laughs) He, He said he couldn't decide whether or not Alcatraz had lost more cement than Oakland's Coliseum. He said one of the other things he he made a comment about was that they put a tarp in Oakland around the third level so that they can't sit there during baseball season. But they will sit there during football season. And that the Raiders are probably going to get a new stadium before the A's do. The problem is the Raiders' new stadium will be in Los Angeles. (laughs) I just some of the stuff that he said but the last thing that I had to say was and, and and this is was serious out of Hamilton's mouth the demise of the A's a lot of people go back and say the reason that the A's have gone downhill was the trade that they made last year at the trade deadline Cespedes for Lester yeah it was a rental they they got Lester for what Ten games and he didn't pitch all that well, right? And um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. But you know, th- there's more long-term systemic I- issues to deal with there, and it revolves around money again. And uh, I don't think it has proven Billy Bean to be wrong about Moneyball. Uh, but Moneyball grew out of the fact he had no resources, and that was the way he maximize what he had and I think it's now part of baseball to you know to look at it more statistically and, and through computers and all that stuff uh, and I think that's an accurate an accurate strategy but at the end of the day the the people who control the purse strings will will I guess set your fate because if you're if you're competing against the Los Angeles Dodgers or the San Diego Padres or the Giants in the West or even Arizona and they have the kind of checkbooks they have, you cannot win. You, it's impossible. You cannot win. And if you do, it's for one year. And it's, it's not to win a series, a World Series, but maybe to get into the playoffs. And I'm afraid that's where the, the Reds and the Indians organizations find themselves. They cannot compete with the big cities. And no. they, they will have their brief life in the sun, but you can't sustain it. And two years ago, Dave, 
The Reds' starting rotation was Homer Bailey, Matt Latos, Johnny Cueto, uh, Mike Leak, and Alfredo Simon. They're all gone. Four are with other teams. One's on the DL. They're all gone. They're all gone. And that was a rotation that was supposed to be one of the, if not the best, one of the best in baseball. And they were going to be. They're all young. All be around for a long time. They had other guys coming up. Life was good. But what they forgot was the offensive side. And yes. And, and when they ignored offense for two years, they could have won. They could. The Reds could have won four or five divisions in a row had the the front office gone out and gotten hitters. They could have won it. They could have been contenders, but they didn't. <laughs> so uh, the, the the mismanagement is just not uh, forgivable uh, in a small market team. Mark, all they have to do is listen to this show. That's right. We've been telling them what to do now for five years, and I'm going to throw this right up into everyone's face. I remember one guy on this show told the Indians, I'll tell you what to do with Lonnie Chisenhall, get him off a third, put him in right field because he's got a strong arm, he's not accurate enough to play third, let him go to the outfield and play the outfield and concentrate on his hitting. Who was that? Oh, wait, that was me that said that. A, a year ago and earlier this year. And what have the Indians done now? They've stuck him in after the trade with Moss to St. Louis. They've made Lonnie Chisenhall their everyday right fielder. And what did he do in the series against Oakland? Hit a couple of home runs, threw a guy out at home plate from right field on an excellent throw. And yesterday, the most controversial thing that the Indians did, they've got Michael Bourne. Mark? Jason Kipnis is going to go on the DL. He'll be on the DL tonight oh, no. with a sore right shoulder. So their leadoff man yesterday in the game against Oakland, do you think it was Michael Bourne? No. It was Lonnie Chisenhall. Now, I'm going to say something here that I think is going to be extremely controversial, but whatever. Terry Francona has lost his flipping mind. Why in the world you would put Lonnie Chisenhall in the leadoff spot when you've got Michael Bourne? What? When did the number eight spot in the batting order, Mark, become more important than leadoff? We couldn't move Michael Bourne out of the number eight spot and put him in leadoff. We had to put Chisenhall there. Hey, Chisenhall. And, of course, what happened to the Indians? They scored one run and lost two to one. Yeah, but Chisenhall went for three, if I recall. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he did, he did all right. But Michael Bourne has been hitting the baseball well from the number eight position. My point is, you're paying this guy to be your leadoff man. Yeah, he hasn't been your leadoff man because Kipnis is hitting the ba- the baseball well. Okay, I get that. I understand it. But now Kipnis is gone. You need a leadoff man. you got to put Bourne back there. You can't play Chip. You can't put Chisholm Hall in that leadoff spot. Well, let me, let me turn around to something kind of, uh, I, I thought, really exciting this weekend. I mean, I... When, you're, when your team, in our case, our teams, are not competitive, you look at other teams and look at what they're doing. And, yes. And I, I, what I was really excited about was what happened in New York. With the, oh, yes. The Mets and the Nationals, and the Mets swept, got, the Nationals got swept by the Mets, and they're, I think, in a dead heat now. And uh, when New York has an exciting team, it really is exciting. I mean, the fans are nuts, and you, you can just, you know, they – they, when the teams are losing, they beat the snot out of them. But when they are winning, it's very exciting. And the Mets, I tell you, they have a chance. Uh, it's hard to believe that the Nationals haven't run away with that division. But uh, the Mets are right there, and it's going to be very exciting uh, when the Mets go down to play the Nationals in a few weeks. That's going to be a big series, and I can't wait to see that. Two things about those two teams. First of all, everybody wants to talk about the Indians and their starting pitching. I got to tell you, Mark, I love the Mets' young starting pitching. I love it. I think it's. I think from one through five, it's better than what the Indians have one through five. And secondly, I think, and we said it at the time three years ago, Washington screwed up by not pitching Strasbaugh in the postseason, and I think it's coming back to haunt them over these last 
two or three years mark, and again, here we go. They're in a dogfight with a team that they've got no business being in a dogfight with. Yeah, and you know, if the Mets get hot, uh, they got some they got some pros in that team like Granderson, and if, you know he's capable of hitting you ten home runs in a month. And if he picks September to do that, uh, that team's going to be tough to beat with the pitching they have because I mean their 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 rotation is just devastating, and then you have that bullpen they have. And I, I was kind of surprised that they didn't go after Chapman because that might have put them over the top. And I wonder, I just wonder, had they, if they knew they were going to sweep that series, would they have made a deal on Friday? Because uh, with Chapman in that bullpen now with that starting rotation, you're lucky to score a run a game. Yeah, they, they've moved Granderson now to center field. They've moved Kadire to right, and they've got Cespedes in left now. They have got a good, really good hitting outfield and a good defensive outfield. But that team, I'll tell you what, you're right. They are exciting to watch. It was a fun series to watch. And that Kansas City-Toronto series was fun to watch also. Uh, there's some good baseball teams around Major League Baseball right now. And I think, you know, we're in August. We're in the dog days of August. We're getting ready for September. Playoffs are just two months away. I think you're going to see a couple of months of exciting baseball, Mark. Yeah, and you forget what it's like. I mean, it's only been two years since the Reds made the playoffs, but uh, even if you don't win, it's, it's such an exciting time leading up. You know, August and September, every game is important, and you can't wait for the game because it, it means something. And this year, the only thing the Reds fans have to look forward to are the young players that they, they got in trades that they're going to be able to see, which is exciting in its own way, but it, it, does, it pales in comparison to what, I saw yesterday uh, on the Nationals Mets broadcast because I mean every pitch was like a was like a playoff atmosphere. It, it was really cool, and you, you think of some of the team matchups that could take place this year. Uh, it, it's pretty exciting. And one other thing before we move on, um, there was a question to one of the writers. It could have been Hal McCoy. I, I forget, but the, the question came up. The Reds were in discussions with the Dodgers. And they don't know who, for whom. But somebody said, would you trade Chapman straight up for Puig? Because apparently the Dodgers are tired of Puig. And he said he would. And I think that would be a trade that would help both teams. Because the Dodgers, that would certainly, whoever gets Chapman wins the ninth inning. That means 11% of your, your, your baseball game is decided. No, very few teams are going to score on Chapman. That's a, that's a huge impact on a team. Right. And, and with Ethier the way he's hitting now, and he's he's got his swing back, and this is one of those trades that you could see after the the deadline, where the Reds build for the future. They get they get a Puig, Chapman goes to the Dodgers, helps them win a World Series. Uh, that's what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Those kinds of trades do happen. Well, Mark, with the excitement of what's going on in Major League Baseball, we need to talk about the downer that happened over the weekend with a nine-year-old who was hit with a bat during a baseball game in Kansas, and he passed away. Kaiser Carlisle was a bat boy for the Liberal BJ's team, and he was accidentally struck Saturday at a National Baseball Congress World Series game. A batter accidentally hit him during a warm-up swing as the boy was retrieving a bat. Now, there's no video of this that I know of, but it was described as he was he just actually, I guess, got in the way of the batter who was in the on-deck circle swinging a bat. He was wearing a helmet, but he just was hit, and he took a few steps back and fell, and that is a summer league for college players, Mark, and it's just one of those things that I don't know how you would prevent it. Evidently, it was just one of those strange accidents that happened. He was wearing a helmet, the batter was in the on-deck circle, and it just it just happened. Well, it's such a tragedy for the young man's family <clears throat> to have their son killed that way, and, and I feel equally bad for the young player who will never forget that. Their oh, life. Yeah, he'll take it with him for the rest of his life. And um, I I saw a young kid in a pickup game 
uh, he must have been, I don't know, four or five years old, sitting at the bottom of the backstop. They used to have that the, the wood runner at the bottom of the backstop. And kids would sit there and, and watch people play. And, for, I mean, a ball came back and hit this kid right in the chest. And he collapsed. He fell over. And his eyes rolled back in his head. And I remember yelling. We all yelled for parents to come. And they picked the kid up. And he survived. But, uh, you know, I, I've seen some really bad injuries in baseball. People don't, they think just because it's baseball, people don't get hurt. I mean, bats cracking in half and people having the end of the bat stuck in their chest or their head or teeth knocked out, line drives to the face. Uh, baseball's dangerous. And it, it's, I said before, Major League Baseball is going to rue the day they didn't act first because they are going to get sued to high heaven. And it's going to happen. It it definitely is. I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I'm going to bring it up just simply because it leads into our, our next situation. A lot of people don't know. Mark, you've been a trooper tonight, but Mark is actually supposed to be on the DL, but he gutted this one out tonight doing the show here this evening to continue on uh, doing the show. But, Mark, because of your injury, you had to postpone the script reading on Wednesday night. Yeah, I. Um, my wife claims uh, and others claim that I'm a very bad patient. That it, <laughs> <laughs> I think it, you know, you, you've been an athlete your whole life and so have I. And you, the old saying, you pay, you play with pain and uh, I have a tendency sometimes to ignore injuries and thinking, oh, it'll get better. Well, this didn't get better. And uh, I had never spent a night in the hospital in my life. I'd been to the hospital several times, you know, with broken bones to be fixed and cuts stitched up. And I almost cut my toe off once with a lawnmower, uh, among my other brilliant uh, activities in life. That really takes coordination. It does. Uh but I'd never spent a night in the hospital, and I uh, ended up spending three nights in the hospital this week and four days. So, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't able to recover from that fast enough to be effective Wednesday night. So we postponed it. We've not we've not canceled it. So, um, thank you for when when is when did when has it been rescheduled for? I, you? I don't know. Uh, Linda Jordan, okay. our, our my associate producer, is working on that. Uh, we have kind of recalculate schedules and. I have to go back in for surgery, I found out today, on the 12th uh, of August, so that may uh, affect when we do it as well. So I'm not feeling poorly, just um, just some things happened. Uh, may as well say it, I, I had a, a very large kidney stone that went in the wrong spot and didn't move. And uh, if, you, if you have had kidney stones before, you know of what I speak. Uh, they ain't fun. So... Um, at any rate, uh, it's being taken care of, and I I feel fine, albeit a bit groggy. But um, with well, we'll keep you in our prayers, Mark. They say a man is measured by the amount of friends that come visit him when he's in the hospital. <laughs> well, I got, then I got some friends. Uh, <laughs> All right, I, I have some friends. People are very kind, and a lot of nice letters from people who are part of our our scripted performance and. Uh, it's been, despite the discomfort, it's nice to know people are thinking of you, and uh, I'll come back strong, I promise. Well, you, you've done a yeoman's job here this evening. Mark, get better. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for us on tonight's edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Don't forget the Ultimate Sports Talk Show coming up this Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And Mark and I will be back again next Monday night at 9 with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all to you for listening to tonight's show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Monday night at 9, have a good week, everybody. The Wiz kids have won it. Bobby Thompson has done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. 
They knew him all from Boston to Dubuque Especially Willie Mickey and the Duke 